Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, November 19th, 2023, from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1. Okay, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Advent. This is Advent. Oh, that's a nice little woo. I appreciate that because there's been some debate over whether or not you can talk about Christmas before Thanksgiving. So what we're going to do is we're just going to do it anyway. And um, good luck, everybody. Um, Advent is it's a time where the people of God start to turn our hearts and minds toward the story of Christmas, that God has come down from heaven and has become one of us so that he could rescue us. There's no story like it in the world, and we are so thankful to be remembering it. And what we're going to do through these weeks of Advent is we are going to think about, there's a, well, there's a place in the ancient prophecy of Isaiah where Isaiah, this prophet, says to this king who has decided he's going to do something that God definitely does not want him to do. And Isaiah says to him, look, instead of doing this thing, You should pray and ask God to give you a sign. Don't be afraid of what's going to happen. God will do some amazing things and rescue you in ways you can't even imagine. And, you know, this guy Ahaz, he's already decided that he's going to do whatever he wants anyway. So he says, oh, no, very piously, I would never put the Lord our God to the test. And Isaiah has like the the biggest eye roll in the entire Old Testament. And he says, you know what? The Lord's going to give you a sign, whether or not you like it. And then he says... In Isaiah chapter 7, that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will call him Emmanuel. We find out that's a word that means God with us, because that's exactly what happened. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time, that God, almighty God, has become a human being to live a perfect life for us. But not only did he just show up as a human being, but he came as a helpless, vulnerable baby. So God has come to be with us, Emmanuel. And what I want to do over these next few weeks as we kind of move towards Christmas is I want to think about the fact that Emmanuel, God with us, now what? What happens to people? What do they do? How do people respond? How do they react? And what do they do when God is with them? Okay, so that's what we're going to do. Now, today, because it is technically a little bit early and we haven't had Thanksgiving yet, we're going to have a prequel Christmas story, okay? Is that okay with everybody? Okay, good. Okay. All right. Great. Um, We're going to have a prequel Christmas story. So this is not going to be technically the announcement of the Messiah, of God with us. It's going to be the announcement of the Messiah's forerunner. Okay, so you know how like if you go to a concert and whoever you went to the concert to see, you don't see them at first. They're the headliner of the show. First, you see the opener, right? And you may like the opener and you may not. But the opener comes before the headliner. So we're talking about, of course, John the Baptist. This is the herald or the forerunner of the Messiah. So he's, he's the opener to the headliner. He's like the hype man to the MC. okay? So um, if some of you don't know what that means, you can talk to me about it later. Well, we'll break it all down. But this is the announcement of John the Baptist. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, if you have a copy of the scriptures. But before we get there, I have a couple of questions I need to ask. And here's the deal with these questions. These are crowd participation questions. So 
If you have ever experienced this or done this, then please do us all a favor and with your mouth let us know so that people know that they're not alone, okay? Question number one, have you ever said something really stupid? Yes. Oh, wow. That's so great. Good. I, I, I thought I was the only one. Um, just kidding, I know some of y'all. Um, okay. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Everybody relax. Everybody relax. Okay. So a, a lot of us, maybe all of us, have said something stupid before. Okay. Next question. Have you ever said something stupid and that stupid thing hurt somebody else? Hmm. Yes. A little bit tougher on that one. That's a little bit more painful. Um, okay, here's another one. Have you ever said something stupid that hurt people that immediately raised the level of drama in a conversation or relationship? Yes. Anybody done that before? Okay, now, everybody's doing great, okay? But this is where everything gets tough, okay? And this is where some of us are going to have to decide to be honest in church. Can we be honest in church? Maybe. But a lot, lot less participation on that one. Okay, here we go. Have you ever said something stupid that hurt somebody else, that raised the level of drama in a room, and you did it on purpose? Okay. Welcome, my friends. Please feel seen and known. As I got ready this week, I thought, I don't know if this is for anybody else, but this is definitely for me. This is something that I have experienced. It's something I feel like the Lord has been showing me in my own life and even through conversations with friends. And so welcome to my personal uh, counseling session. And if you get something out of it, then that's fantastic. Okay, we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. And um, I'm going to read quite a bit of it here. And, and then we'll talk about it. All right. Let me back up. This is verse 5 in Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and, so, and they were both very old. Once Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of those uh, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. Okay. So, uh, just a couple of things on what we just read. Okay, so there were a classification of people among the people of God who were called priests. 
and they were of a, they were from a specific family of like ancestral tribe and the people of God, and this was their job. Every male in this from from the from this particular ancestor would serve as priests, doing things for people that they couldn't do for themselves to connect them to God. That's what a priest is. A priest is someone who does something for you that you can't do for yourself to connect you to God. Okay, and so specifically, they had to do all these things in and around the temple of God, which if you were here last week, Eric talked a lot about the temple. If you weren't, real quickly, big special building right smack dab in the middle of the capital city of Jerusalem. And this was a representation to anybody in the world who wanted to come and see it, what it is like to know God. What's it, what it's like to worship God, to be known by him, to have a relationship with him. And there were all this pageantry and ceremony and all of these things that they would do to show people, to illustrate what it takes to get into God's presence and come to know him. And the priests got to go into super special places in this building that nobody else did. Now, there were a lot of jobs that priests had to do, like cleaning up and baking bread and setting up stuff and tearing down things, all this kind of stuff. And the thing is, is by the time of the story that we're reading, there were like thousands of these people who were descendants of this one guy who got to be priests. And they were supposed to, according to the Old Testament, they're supposed to serve as priests two weeks out of the year. Now, there's thousands of them. There's only 52 weeks. The temple only has so many jobs. So what they would do is the super special jobs, they would have like a lottery to see which of these dudes during the time of their divisional family getting to serve in the capital city, which of these guys got like the big jobs? Who gets to like go in and burn the incense? And here's this older priest. He's, you know, he served you know, done the little jobs and stuff, his whole, you know, his, his whole adult life. And all of a sudden, the lot is chosen, and it's Zechariah. And I can imagine him going to his wife, and it's like, it's me. And she's like, it is? It's me? After all this time, after all these years. I mean, we've thought about it, we've studied about it, we've, we've heard, I've talked to other guys who have done it, but I'm actually going in there. I'm going in the room. I'm not the super special room that only one guy got to go in once a year. That was like a super duper special, just the super special one. And so only the priests go in this one, but he's like, I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna burn incense. And she's like, how do you feel? And he's like, I'm super nervous. What if I screw it up? What if I do it wrong? She's like, you're gonna be fine. Everything's cool, you know. So she dusts off his best robes and you know he's combing out his beard and everything and he heads to the temple and he gets like the final instructions okay here's what you're going to do step one step two step three from the guy that helps these dudes get ready to go in and he's like how are you feeling Zechariah's like I'm fine everything's gonna be cool it's, it's gonna be good I'm sure that I won't screw up anything and you know be struck down or something like that and he's like everything's fine just relax you're just burning incense you know and so he gets ready to go in and boom he steps in and it's like been waiting my whole life for this. He goes in and he's got his little incense burner thing and he's got his fire and he's about to do this thing and nobody else is in there, it's just him. Everybody else is outside the room, right? And he's getting ready to do this thing and he lights the incense and all of a sudden the whole room explodes. Boom! And he's thinking, I did it, I screwed up, I've burned the temple down. Like immediately the whole room is filled with light and not just light, but like fire because the scriptures tell us that angels don't look like those ones on like the Hallmark card or anything like, or that, that show from the 90s, Touched by an Angel. That's not what it is. Those of you that don't know Touched by an Angel, <laughs> you really missed some stuff. Okay, but anyway, you missed some heavy Christianing there. But anyway, so like, that's not what they look like. They, they're described in the Old Testament as these like gigantic 
otherworldly warriors. The book of Hebrews says that they are flames. Like, imagine a gigantic otherworldly warrior on fire in the room with you. And that's what he's saying. And he's just like, oh, no. And all of a sudden, this angel's like, don't be afraid. It's like, don't be afraid. You're on fire. Like, are you joking me? Don't be afraid. You're enormous. You're a warrior. You're on fire. And I knew I was going to screw this up. And now I don't even know what's happening. He's like, don't be afraid. Everything's cool. Your wife's prayer, your, you guys' prayers were heard. Elizabeth's going to bear you a son. You're going to call him John. He's never going to drink any alcohol his whole life. You're never going to cut his hair. He's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. Oh, by the way, it's all happening. The thing you've all been waiting for for thousands of years. All the prophecies. All the prophets. All of the scriptures, all the Psalms, all of everything from the Garden of Eden till this moment, dude, it's coming down now. Out of heaven, the Messiah is going to come like a 747 invading this planet, just boom, just coming down into this world. It's on. It's really all happening. And Zechariah is like holding that incense burner and he's like, no way. That, I mean, How? Like, Elizabeth and I, we're way past that, and we gave up on that, that a long time ago. That's, there's, there's just absolutely no way that this can be happening now. It can't be happening to me. Who am I? And then, in the story, that's when we have the first ever recorded Christmas present. The first ever Christmas present was given by the angel Gabriel to Zechariah. He said, listen, son. I am the angel Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and you have this little gift. You are now not going to be able to speak until all of this comes true. And he was going to say, what do you mean? But instead he said, <laughs> and so he gets this Christmas present, which this is one of those gifts that like, you know, when somebody gives uh, somebody a gift and it's like man this is just as much for my wife as it is for me she's going to enjoy this it's like hey how about getting to be pregnant and your husband never says anything stupid the whole time that's pretty awesome we ought to think about doling this gift out a little bit more maybe um, for nine months this man cannot utter a word and you might be thinking like well that sounds like it doesn't sound like a gift it sounds like he's actually being punished like he didn't have faith, he didn't believe the thing, and so Gabriel's like, I smite you with silence. No, this was a gift. It was a gift because um, silence can be really helpful. Um, and words, and you feel free to amen whenever you want to, words can get us in trouble. This might have been a little bit of a gift here. There's a all over the scriptures, it talks about kind of how dangerous our words are. There's a place in Proverbs in chapter 10, verse 19 where the writer of Proverbs says that sin is not ended when words are multiplied. Understatement of the century. He says, but the prudent hold their tongues. This was a Christmas gift of prudence. There's a place in Matthew chapter 15 where Jesus is, is in this conversation. These guys are arguing with him because they're upset that Jesus' disciples don't do all the, the little traditional things that they do in the, way, in the food that they eat and the way that they eat their food. And Jesus just says, don't you know that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But whatever comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And that's what defiles you. You see, it's not what you eat that has, the, that has the ability to make you unclean or how you eat it. 
It's what you say because that exposes what's inside your heart. This was a gift of prudence. It was a gift of cleansing. There's a place in James chapter 3 where James says, We all stumble in many ways, but anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. He goes on to say that when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make, us, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take uh, ships as an example. Although they are so large and they're driven by such strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. He says, so, likewise, the tongue is a very small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. He says, consider what a large forest is set on fire by a small spark, and so the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It, it sets the course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. Wow. That's what the book of James says about the way we speak. This was a gift of prudence. It was, it was a gift of cleansing. It was, a, it was a gift of fire prevention. The way that we wound and burn our relationships down, burn moments up with people with the way that we speak. There's a place in Ephesians chapter 4 where the Apostle Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And you're like, okay, well, how do we do that? How do we, like, in humility and patience, keep everybody all unified? Well, he goes on through the rest of chapter 4 to talk about that theme. And it's all about your anger and the way that you treat people. And then he gets to the way that we speak. And he says in verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building others up, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It's really interesting. I don't know if you noticed this, but Paul's philosophy of conversation is that everything that comes out of my face is for you. It's not for me. This, this is interesting because I was looking at this verse and thinking like, you know the way I kind of talk sometimes? It's like the words that come out of my mouth, they are for the building up of me according to my needs that it may benefit me who's speaking. And Paul says, no, um, make sure that the words that come out of your face are useful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That's Paul's philosophy of conversation. And here this dude all of a sudden has this gift. It's a gift of prudence. It's a gift of cleansing. It's a gift, it's a gift of fire prevention. And it's a gift to learn how to be encouraging. So for nine months, he can't say anything. And at first, you know it just had to be frustrating. I'm sure that he and Elizabeth like, came up with some signs like eat and sleep and go away and stuff like that. And whatever, whatever they would come up with, they probably came up with other ones and he probably got shut down pretty hard on those. And, but like, what I'm saying is like, this would be, it would start out really, really frustrating. But then after a while, it, it had to become calculating. And then maybe it even evolved into a place of learning how to be a really, really good at listening. What he had to do, we find out later in chapter one, is every time Zechariah wanted to say something, he had to write it on a tablet. Maybe that was a chalkboard, 
of what it was probably was something about this size made out of wood with a little bed of wax in it and you would have a, you would have a, a little stylus and you would have to write down in the wax everything that you wanted to say and then turn around and let them read it. Okay, I wanna just do a thought experiment with you guys just for a second. I want you to imagine that everything that you say this week, you had to write it down physically into a tablet of wax this size. And I'm pointing the finger at me too. What would you say? What would you not say? Would there be less opinions? Would there be less criticism? Would there be less stories? Would you do a lot more listening? I'm guessing so, because it would be really annoying to write everything you have to say down on this tablet. Okay, so six months into this, this gift of silence, all of a sudden, one day, there's a knock on Zechariah and Elizabeth's door. Elizabeth's pregnancy is going well, and there is Elizabeth's like, like distant relative named Mary. She wasn't from the tribe of Aaron. She was from the tribe of David, but they were kind of distantly related still. And this little girl, Miriam, this teenage girl, comes in. And as soon as she comes in, the whole place just goes nuts because all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes on to Elizabeth and she's like, oh my goodness, it's the mother of my Lord. And Zechariah's like, I'm sorry, what? How do you know that? Because, and, and one of the reasons that she knew it was that the Holy Spirit was also on the little fetus, John the Baptist, and he was doing backflips. He was like dancing. He was like juby slide, like inside the uterus. Like it was unbelievable. He was going completely nuts. It's like, there he is. And all of a sudden it's like in silence. I don't know how long Mary stayed with Zechariah and Elizabeth. But what if, what if she stayed like the rest of Elizabeth's pregnancy? What if Zechariah in silence had three months to process it's all really happening to us now? All of our ancestors and all of the prophecies and all of the scriptures, it's all really happening. The Messiah is coming. God is coming to be with us. He's coming to rescue us, and he's probably going back. He has a whole lot more time to read the scriptures. He's probably going back and checking out the scrolls and all the prophecies about the Messiah, and he's learning some things about what this is going to mean. Okay, so it comes time. John the Baptist is born. Now, they would name their kid on like the eighth day, okay? And at the eighth day, they would have this ceremony. There's friends and families there. That was the circumcision, the bris ceremony. And everybody's around and they're like, okay, it's time to name the baby. We're not gonna ask that dude because he doesn't say any words. So Elizabeth, what's up? And Elizabeth says, his name is John. And they're like, you don't have any relatives named John. And Zechariah grabs his tablet. He didn't know it, but for the last time, and he wrote his name is, underline, 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 John. Boom. And as soon as he wrote it, and as soon as they read it, his mouth is open, his tongue is loosed, and he just starts praising God. He's probably been waiting to praise God for a long time. My child is here, this gift is over, and he starts singing a song. And I'm just going to read a little bit to you. It's, it's a really cool song. And um, it, it's all about God bringing righteousness and justice to his people and everything. Really, really cool stuff. And... It says this in verse 76. He starts in this song talking to little baby John the Baptist. He says, And you, my child, will be a prophet, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. 
because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the paths of peace. Isn't that a great song? That's beautiful. I was looking up some of this stuff. Um, when he talks about the tender mercy of our God, that's a word that is, um, it, right here it's an adjective. It's norm, like when it's used as a noun, um, it's always used of Jesus or of the Good Samaritan one time. But it's a, it's a word that means compassion. It's a word that means passionately feeling for somebody. It's actually just technically the word for your intestines. It's your guts. It's like my gut is just in knots. That's how passionately God was feeling. Zechariah is saying because God's stomach was in knots, he had mercy. You know, like I've always wondered when I was young, like what's the difference between grace and mercy? At church, we talk about both. We talk about grace. We talk about mercy. Are they both just kind of the same thing? And one time I was reading um, a pastor called Dave Roper. He said a very helpful thing. He used the image of, uh, he said, if you want to understand the difference between grace and mercy, you need to think about the Charles Schultz uh, Peanuts cartoons, like the Charlie Brown cartoons. He said, look, if you are kind and nice to Lucy Van Pelt, you are giving grace because she does not deserve it. She's mean as a snake. She turns her back. She always picks up that stupid football and makes this dude crack his head, even when she says she's not going to. If you're nice to Lucy Van Pelt, you are gracious. That's grace. Then he said, if you want to understand what mercy is, if you're kind and nice to Charlie Brown, that's mercy, because poor, pitiful Charlie Brown. He's just so pitiful. If you're kind to him, then that's what mercy is. What Zechariah is saying in this song is, he said, the sun is rising and I see it, it's happening. Because God's stomach is in knots over poor, poor, pitiful us and how much we need to be saved. Amen? Isn't that a beautiful song? The sun is rising and I can see it and he's coming and he's coming to save us from our sins because we are just so poor, pitiful and his stomach is in knots about it and he's got to do something. And out of heaven like a 747 landing in this world, God is coming to save us because he's tender and sweet, because of his mercy, because he wants to bring peace into this disaster of a world. And he realizes, you know, as that plane lands, I don't want to be a roadblock to anybody. I want to be a runway. Hey, have any of you experienced Christians being roadblocks to people understanding who Jesus is in this world with their words? Christians, uh... It's like, it's like we have figured the best possible thing we can do is put up as many speed bumps as possible to people understanding who Jesus is. We want to make sure everybody understands how wrong they are. We want to make sure those people on the outside understand that they stay on the outside. We want to make sure those people on the inside realize they're better than everybody on the outside. We want to make sure the poor people stay out there and the sick people stay out there. And this is the way the world feels that we have communicated the love of Jesus is that we think we're better than everybody. It's a million speed bumps to the, the path of peace. And Zechariah realizes after nine months of shutting up, I think I want to be a runway. I think I want to learn how to be the smoothest tarmac I can so that the Prince of Peace can invade this world and go right into the heart of some poor, pitiful person who needs the mercy of God. So this is something I'm saying to me this Advent season, and if it helps you, then I'm very thankful. But I, <laughs> I've just seen this a lot in my own life lately, and here's what I want to do. 
I want to learn how to listen more. I want to learn how to take a beat and not talk as much. I want to learn how to ask more questions because I want to be a runway. I don't want to be a roadblock. The Prince of Peace is coming. Emmanuel, and I want to pave the way. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning, for the chance to be together that we've had, and I pray that you would make us runways to the path of peace. Make me one. Help me learn how to listen more, to ask more questions, so that people on the outside and people who are down and out and people who need mercy and people who are marginalized and people who are different feel that they are welcome in the love of Jesus. I'm so thankful for the family of God and thank you for our time together. And I, I just pray that you would give me a week of learning to, uh, learning to benefit from the gift that Zechariah got. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Son of God, Son of man, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Come now, long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel, strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver Born a child and yet a king Born to reign in us forever Now thy gracious kingdom bring By thine own eternal our hearts alone by thy all-sufficient merit raise us to thy glorious throne come to earth to taste our sadness he whose glory's new no end by his life he brings us gladness our redeemer shepherd friend leaving riches without number born within a cattle stall this the everlasting wonder Christ was born the Lord of all all 
Savior. Alleluia, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. You are with me to the end. Son of God, Son of Man, Christ is born in Bethlehem, fully God, fully man, Christ is born in Bethlehem.